Today's scripture reading is Psalm 63. Hear the word of the Lord. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are grateful, Father, for the gift of your word, and we're thankful that it's true, that it's a gift of your love for us. And um, we want to be people who receive it, and we know, Holy Spirit, that that's your good work in us. So... um, Help us to receive it and help us to see Jesus in it. Be with me in my weakness as I preach. We ask it in your name. Amen. So if you haven't been with us recently or if you're just visiting today, we're looking at just kind of a random assortment of the Psalms during these summer months. And the Psalms are filled with language about the soul. In this psalm, David refers to his soul three times in verse 1, verse 5, and verse 8. And I wonder how often you think about your soul. What, what comes to mind when you hear the word soul? Just pre-association. You can, you can speak out. Soul food. Yes. Soul food. What else? What else? Soul music. Soul music. Yeah. Soul. Soul train. All right. Immortality of the soul, yeah. Soul searching. Uh, the devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. Yeah, there are stories of people selling their souls. We, we name cars after souls. Got the Kia soul. Uh, we talk about souls a lot, but it's easy to forget that we actually have souls. You can't locate a person's soul. Uh, You can't study it in any kind of empirical way. As far as modern science can tell, there's no such thing as a soul. But according to the Bible, we do have souls. Um, Each of us has a soul. And and what Scripture shows us is not just that we have a soul, but we have a soul that hungers and thirsts. Um, You have a soul. I wonder how often you think about that, that you have a soul. The way the Bible uses the term is really complex, but what becomes clear is the soul is like our deepest life. 
it's about our inner being. And so you can think about the soul as, as kind of being maybe like the most central thing about you, the most central part of who you are. But it's also, it's not just central, it's also comprehensive. It, it's the most comprehensive thing about you. And so in scripture, soul is often like synonymous for the whole person. It's what brings unity to our wills and hearts and minds. Dallas Willard, uh, who was a philosopher who's also studies scripture a lot and who has done a lot of thinking about the soul. He's no longer with us, but he did a lot of thinking about the soul. I, I guess he's still thinking about the soul. Uh, he writes this, the soul is that dimension of the person that interrelates all of the other dimensions. So things like our emotions and even our social context and our thoughts and our, our, um, our wills, our desires. It interrelates all those dimensions so that they form one life. It is a term that refers to the whole person through its most profound dimension. So that's kind of abstract, but I think, I mean, the, th the thing to see is that our souls are much more than just some like invisible, immaterial part of us. In a real way, our souls just are us, like, or the deepest part of who we are. Like if I were to ask, how is your soul? I would be asking, how are you? But I would be asking like, how are you really? Right, like, how, how's the real you? You know, it's possible to go through life ignoring the reality of your soul. You know, a lot of us do that. And the result is a kind of disintegration and decay. The result is living, but not really living, because the you that is meant to flourish is being neglected, ignored, overlooked. You have a soul. How is your soul? How is your soul? One of the things the psalm helps us to see is that the condition of our souls, like the health of our souls, depends on what we nourish them with. A healthy soul requires healthy soul diet. Soul food. Soul food. Uh, in our psalm, David says that his soul thirsts, and yours does too. So does mine. Like Our souls are not self-sufficient. They need to be fed. They need nourishment from the outside. I mean, another way to say that is just that our souls are needy. They're needy, and this is true for everyone. Um, generally, people are spiritually hungry. You know this. Whether you know God or not, you have a thirsty soul, like a, a soul that is hungry. And um, one of the realities about our souls is that we're feeding them pretty much all the time, whether we know it or not. You know, C.S. Lewis has that great line where he says, spiritual nature, and, and I... I'm just equating that with the soul. I don't know. I'm not Dallas Willard. I don't know how these things work. But uh, spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served, Lewis says. And then he says, deny it food. So deny your soul food, and it will gobble poison. That's what he says. Um, the hunger of our souls is not the kind of thing that we can switch on and off. Our souls are constantly seeking nourishment. But that quote from Lewis suggests that we're not always seeking healthy soul food. In fact, here's the thing. Even though everyone has a spiritual hunger, everyone has a thirsty soul, um, the natural inclination of our hearts is to nourish our souls with pretty much anything other than the one true God. Naturally, we're all spiritual seekers, but naturally, none of us seeks God. You might think, well, that's a weird thing to say, Kevin, but I'm just quoting the Apostle Paul 
in Romans chapter 3, who says, no one seeks God. Direct quote. <laughs> no one seeks God, which is a weird thing to say. Like, what are we doing here? Uh, but, but Paul says, no one seeks God. And what Paul means is that um, in, our, in our fallen sinful nature, none of us naturally seeks God. This is what sin does. It doesn't shut down the hunger of our souls, but it, it twists it and it distorts it and misdirects it. It leads us to seek nourishment anywhere but where true nourishment can be found. And so seeking the true God isn't the kind of thing that you and I are naturally inclined to do. And yet David can say to God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. And so David is seeking after the one true God. His soul is thirsty for the one who can really satisfy. And I'm, I just want to ask the question, like, how can that be? How can that be? How can it be for David and how can it be for you and for me that we would be people who, even though it's not our natural inclination to seek after the one true God, can somehow find ourselves seeking after the one true God? This is the one thing I want us to see before we move to the table. And, and, and this is really, I want to say, like, one of the central things, maybe the central thing that separates the good news about Jesus from, from pretty much every other worldview, philosophy, ideology, religion out there. It's a truth that we see throughout scripture, and, and the truth is this, that finding the true God is not the result of seeking him, but it's the result of being found by him. We see a, a hint of this truth even in the way verse 1 is structured. David doesn't say, God, I earnestly seek you, and because I seek you, you are my God. Could have said something like that, but that's not what he says. He says, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. And, and there's a difference there. Like every religious system says that if you want to find God and if you want God to be yours, then you have to get busy seeking after him. And Christianity says that you will only ever seek after the one true God if you already have him. <laughs> like if, he, if he's already yours in some way. And so in pretty much every other area of life, it's seeking that leads to finding, but with the true God, it's being found that leads to seeking. And that's what we see from the very beginning of the Bible story. You remember this? Hey, Timmy, there's chairs here at the very front. I know it's awkward to come to the very front in a Presbyterian church, but here they are. Um, uh, in every other area of life, uh, it's seeking that leads to finding, but here with the true God, it's being found that leads to seeking. Um, and so think of Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, they've turned from God. They've, they've rebelled. They've rejected his grace. Who is it that goes seeking for whom? You remember? Um, Adam and Eve do not earnestly seek God in the garden. What are they doing? Yeah, they're hiding. Uh, they're hiding. It's God who comes earnestly seeking after them with that question, where are you? Where are you? And, and that might be a question that God is always asking of our souls. Where are you? You see, that's what Paul means when he says that no one seeks God naturally. We do exactly what Adam and Eve did. We run and we hide. And maybe, maybe some of you are hiding this morning. Maybe. Maybe if you listen, you can hear God's gentle voice. Where are you? 
seeking is the result of being found. I mean, it would be different, I guess, if, if, if Jesus had said something like, uh, you are the moths and I am the flame, right? <laughs> like, because it's just in the nature of a moth to seek after the flame. Or if Jesus had said, like, you are the children and I am the cookie jar. Because children are always trying to find, where's the, where's the cookie jar? Or if, if Jesus, and I'm going to pick on Dan Hargreaves, but if Jesus had said, you are Dan Hargreaves, and I am your car keys. <laughs> because Dan is always searching for his car keys. But Jesus doesn't say any of that. He says, you are the sheep. You remember that? He says, you are the sheep, and I'm the shepherd. And sheep never get together and say, hey, guys, let's go find a shepherd. <laughs> no, sheep wander and they stray, and sometimes they, they stray right off the edge of a cliff. You remember that story? And their only hope is having a shepherd who seeks them out and who finds them. And until that happens, we just won't seek. We won't seek the one true God. We'll wonder around and we'll run and we'll hide and we'll, and we'll try to quench our thirsts and our thirsty souls at cisterns that don't hold water and we'll feast on all kinds of junk food. And, and it's not that the searching and the seeking will be shut off. Remember, it's just that uh, we'll be searching and seeking for all the wrong things. It's like we can't turn off the appetite of our souls. They will always hunger and thirst. They'll always seek nourishment. Um, it's just that unless we've already been found by him, all our spiritual searching will actually be a way of hiding from Jesus. Like our seeking will itself be a form of hiding. We'll seek after like transcendence and spirituality and powerful experiences, but always with like this deep inner resistance to the one who actually is the source of all light and life and love. And so our souls only earnestly seek God once we've been found. Seeking is the result of being found. I wonder if you believe that. That you won't actually seek the one true God until you've been found by him. There's a comfort in that and there's also a call in that. What's the comfort? Well, David says he earnestly seeks God, that his soul thirsts for God, that his flesh faints for God. What does that mean? I mean, think about what David's saying. He's saying that he is experiencing a sense of absence, isn't he? It's like seeking and hunger and thirst are words that imply that you don't have enough. You don't have what you need. You usually don't say, I'm thirsty, after you've just, um, you've just downed a gallon of water. Then you're, then you're not thirsty. You're like totally satisfied. But seeking and hunger and thirst are words that imply a sense of absence. They, they imply a sense of neediness. You know that you don't have enough. And so David feels the absence of God. And I wonder if that's you this morning. I wonder if that's you. Feeling like you're in a dry and weary land where, where there is no water. Feeling like God is, is distant, like he's far off, or maybe he's just absent entirely. Feeling like you need more of him. Well, why is that? Why is that? What leads to that desire? You see, it's not actually God's absence that leads to hungering and thirsting for God. It's his presence. I mean, David only seeks God because God is his God. 
we tend to confuse our subjective experiences of God's distance or absence for God's actual distance and absence. And it's a, it's a problem because our feelings are not God. Our feelings are not God. Um, my feelings of God being far off and distant are not at all the same thing as God actually being far off and distant. Um, it, it's, it's a basic point, but I hope that you can see the comfort of it. Because listen, family, if you are thirsty for God, it's not because he's absent from you. It's because God is with you and he's for you and he's calling you to a deep life of love with him. If you're seeking after God, it's not because he's hiding from you and trying to get away from you. It's because he has, in fact, sought you out and he's found you and he's with you now and he's inviting you to seek him with all of your heart and to wake up, to wake up, to become alert to the reality of his presence. And so if you feel far from Jesus, if you hunger and you thirst for him, it's not a sign that he's far off and distant. It's a sign that he's so close that he is already seeking you. Can you feel the comfort of that? There's also a call. And the call is simply this. If, if God is seeking after you like this, return the favor. Seek after God. Seek after God. Earnestly seek after God. Seek after God because he is your God. Um, A.W. Tozer, who, like, I've got mixed feelings about this man, but... Sometimes he says really good things. <laughs> he writes this, to have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, but justified in happy experience by the children of the burning heart. I love that. Because I want to be a child of the burning heart. I mean, I want to be someone who's whose soul is just alive to the reality of Jesus' presence in my life and who pursues after Jesus because he has so sought me. Um, to, have, to have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Uh, he goes on to quote um, an old hymn of, written by uh, Bernard of Clairvaux who writes this, We taste thee... O thou living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. We drink thee, the fountainhead, and thirst our souls from thee to fill. So you, you can hear it there, that paradox. It's like we've tasted and we want more. We've, we've, we've drunk from the good fountain and we want more. And so, and so that's the call, like hunger and, and thirst and seek. Or, or look at verse 8. David says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Um, we sang a song that, that brings that across the way the, the King James Version puts it, which I like. My soul followeth hard after thee. And, and so there, maybe we have the comfort and the call. The comfort, God is not far off. I mean, in fact, even now, he's upholding us by his powerful right hand. And the call is then to follow hard after him. Follow hard after Jesus, not so that you can find him, but because he has found you and his right hand upholds you 
and because you are made for really maybe nothing else other than this deep relationship of intimacy with him. So how do we do that? How do we respond to that call? How do we seek after God? Just real briefly, a few things. I'll just highlight them in the psalm that we see. Um, David, David's life has been formed by habits of seeking. Habits of seeking. And I'll just point some of these out. First, notice that the entire psalm is a prayer. He's seeking God by praying to God, by communicating his desire to God. Um, and then notice... So, so prayer, I mean, that's like maybe the most basic, pervasive way that we can seek after God is just by cultivating um, communication with God in our lives. Regular, individual, corporate, like that, that needs to be foundational to our habits of seeking God, prayer. But then also notice verse 2, there's public worship. Notice in verses 3 and 5, there's, um, David talks about his, what his mouth speaks forth. He talks about praising. In verse 4, super uncomfortable for, for me, but he talks about raising his hands. <laughs> Some of you are so good at that, you raise your hands when you're worshiping, and you know, I, I just immediately think, like, what's going on in my armpits, and what, what, you know, like, it's awkward. Um, I'm too self-conscious about that, but that's, but that can be an important way to cultivate seeking God, is just to get your body involved, to get your body involved. Um, and then verse 6, he talks about meditating on God, like turning our thoughts to God, giving God our attention. So there are all kinds of practices that we could uh, take up to seek after God, to respond to the reality that we have already been sought by him. But I, I want to ask, um, what if you don't feel like it? What if you don't feel like seeking God? You know, it's so easy for, for that to become one of the decisive factors in our lives with God. I don't feel like praying, so I won't pray. Or I don't feel like going to church, so I won't go to church. Or I don't feel like singing the songs of praise, so I won't sing. Or I certainly don't feel like raising my hands, so I'm not going to do that. And I don't feel like meditating on God's word, so not that either. I don't feel like seeking so I'm not going to do it. I was reminded of this great uh, response that Eugene Peterson has to, to this mentality. I don't feel like it. Well, here's what Peterson says. He says, feelings are great liars. If Christians only worshipped when they felt like it, there would be precious little worship that went on. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. Uh, and we do believe that, especially in our culture. I mean, we think, okay, David earnestly sees God, but that must mean that like, there's some kind of feeling or some kind of emotional spark in his heart that is leading him to kind of spontaneously burst out in seeking God. And, and we, we've bought into that mentality, but what Peterson says is that the wisdom of God says something different, namely that we act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act which develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God which is expressed in an act of worship. That's what Peterson says. And I would want to nuance that slightly and just say, well, it can be both, right? It's not either or. Worship can lead to feeling, and feeling can lead to worship. But the point is, 
we don't have to wait to be people who feel things to speak things or to pray things or to open up scripture and meditate on God's word or to raise our hands in worship or to go to church on a Sunday morning. Preaching to the choir. I once read a great, a great quote. I don't remember who said it, but this guy said, the reason that your bed feels so comfortable on Sunday morning <laughs> is because the devil hates you. <laughs> I just thought, well, that's, I don't even know if that's true. But uh, I liked it. I thought it was a funny quote. Anyway, uh, it can be both. The point is we can respond to the call to seek God even if we don't feel like it. And doing that, responding to the call to seek God even when we don't feel like it is really good for our souls. It's really good for our souls. It actually helps form our souls. And so, family, God is inviting us to pursue him and to seek him with everything we've got. Um, This is what you and I were made for. This is what we were made for. And just remember that your seeking is a response to his seeking. That God is seeking you, and he's seeking you because he loves you. Uh, He's walking in your garden, and his question is the same as it was from the very beginning. Like, where are you? Where are you? And it's okay to, to come out of hiding. I mean, I think we, we hide because we think we'll come out and we'll be cast off or we'll be rejected or we'll find that, that this one who seeks us out isn't the God of perfect love who we know in the face of Jesus Christ. But it is okay to come out of hiding. Like, you don't have to live in guilt and fear and shame. And if you doubt any of that, you can look here. Because every time we share this meal we remember that the Son of God like, didn't wait for us to get our acts together and seek after him, but he actually um, left the safe confines of heaven and came seeking after us. Um, not to call a bunch of righteous people to himself, but to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says, the Son of Man came to what? Seek and save the lost. There's one other place in Luke's gospel where Jesus says the Son of Man came and he says, the Son of Man came, do you remember? The Son of Man came eating and drinking. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost and the Son of Man came eating and drinking. It's like maybe those two things just go together. It's like what Jesus wants to do, seek and save the lost and how he does it by eating and drinking with people. I think he still does that. Um, he, loves, he loves us to the point of um, laying down his life for us. And so look, Jesus specializes in finding people who don't know how to properly take care of their souls. He goes after people who are frantically trying to quench their thirst at empty cisterns. And he says, you can keep doing that if you want. Or if you're really thirsty. You can come to me, Jesus says. You can come to me and drink. Family, what an invitation. (laughs) What an invitation. Um, To eat and drink with the lover of our souls. Even now, even here.